This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Tell you the truth, when I think of it today, I don't know how I'm living. I remember that just as well. Look like to me, I can't. Been slaves all our lives, and mother was a slave, sisters were slaves, father was a slave. They know nothing about reading right now. All that I know is the teachers of mine and Austin and Mrs. Mom them didn't know where to go. You see, after she was broke, just turned just like he turned some out, you know. Didn't know where to go. Reparations, as in reparatory justice, including restitution and cash payments, is absolutely necessary to address the racial wealth gap, but also the moral recognition gap of slavery, neo-slavery, and the ongoing effects of America's past in the present. Human uh, chattel, capital, uh, as in enslaved Africans, uh, essentially laid the foundation for America to become an economic uh, superpower. America's chickens coming home. Didn't the, uh, the the federal government get into the business of orchestrating the economy after the Great Depression? The answer is yes, but it did so in a very deliberately um, racially cha- racially channeled way. And we see targeted programs like the GI Bill that essentially created American middle class by sending GIs to college and job training, failed African American veterans who had fought abroad for for you know for freedom. This combined with housing discrimination, kind of lending discrimination that was orchestrated through the structures of the federal government is actually creating the the seedbed of poverty in the next generation. By the 1960s, you can say, well, didn't the civil rights era change that? And the answer is yes and no. You have what Kianga Yamada Taylor calls predatory inclusion to say, yes, now you may buy that home, but we're kind of gonna set you up to fail. And then in the mortgage market, where we see by the early 2000s, you say, well, anyone can get a home in the rising market. Uh, anyone can get a loan. You're going to sing to swim. You're going to learn the truth. No matter what you do, you're going to learn the truth. Alternative activists empowerment talk radio. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. That is a three-strike law. And then wants us to sing God bless America? No, no, no. Not God bless America. God. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our common ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. You just don't give up, just don't give up. And now, Janice Graham.
And good evening, and thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground, another Saturday night to listen, learn, and liberate. How are you? Thank you for joining us. Thank you so very much. This is the second episode in our series discussing reparations, the debt that is owed, uh, examining the demands for repair and healing and reconciliation. So thank you very much for those of you who are listening and you'd like to join in at our chat room, which is open. It The address is blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Tonight in this second episode... And before we begin, I should let you know that we are in South Florida and under a severe weather alert with uh, torrential rains and lightning coming through. So here's the here's the plan. You know, I've all I believe in having a back plan. And the plan is if we lose our connection, uh, we will attempt for 10 minutes to restore it because you are not losing your Internet connection. You won't have to do anything unless you have called in to our board to listen. And the number is 347-838-9852. I will attempt for 10 minutes. If that does not work, I'll play music and see if I can still work on it. Um, If that doesn't work, then what we will do is continue this particular discussion on next Saturday night. Um, We apologize, but we don't want people to suffer from confusion because of technical glitch. For those of you who are listening on a smart device and would like to somehow switch over to a landline, you can call in and you are able to listen to us at 347-838-9852. Later on in this broadcast, we will be taking calls And don't forget when you call in and you would like to talk with me or my guests or the both of us, you need to hit that number one to be connected so that I will know you're not just listening, that you want to engage. Um, We are a dying breed here in, in, in Radioland Podcasts. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of podcasts all over the place. And um, we have celebrities and scholars and writers and publishers all running behind your podcast business. And if you do have a podcast client on your phone or your computer or even on your TV, if you have a smart TV, You can find us uh, on demand 
at iTunes, live on Intune, live on Stitcher, live on FM Radio, and we got a notice. <laughs> we got a notice on on uh, at the beginning of the week that um, because we have joined uh, a podcast that is exclusively on the continent, uh, broadcasting on the continent of Africa, that we are in politics number four in Nigeria. How about that? That's number four. Uh, at first they said we were in the top ten, and then they said we were num- – and then we got another notice to say that our common ground is number four in the category of politics. But I digress. Thank you once again for being with us. We will always continue to be your university in the air. Uh, we are not pushing any particular ideology. We are pushing you to be activists and advocates for justice and freedom uh, for black people in this country. That's all we're doing here. So we see education. We see uh, conversation. And I am really pleased that we have, over the 34 years um, broadcasting live had ha- have had nearly most black thinkers, authors, scholars, academicians, administrators, advocates, and activists on these airwaves. Every time I look up, I see someone who has been an our common ground who is an Our Common Ground voice. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we are so pleased that in this second episode, Reparations, the Paradigm Shift, and we'll talk a little bit more about what I mean by that, um, that you have joined us. The name of the uh, all-month our Common Ground discussion series is Reparations, the Debt That is Owed. Advocates and experts argue that ongoing systemic racism has placed black Americans at a disadvantage in everything, from obtaining an education to being paid for your wages, purchasing homes, starting businesses, and passing down generational wealth. And by the way, those that did pass down generational wealth, the descendants lost it because of the same kind of oppressive and discriminatory and predatory laws in place. All com- all these components need to achieve robust economic health in our community. So, um, some say that reparations are the answer. They would not only help eliminate wealth differences caused by systemic racism, but also a form of compensation, as our guests from last week said, would amount to healing. So tonight what we want to do, we want to examine our demand, and I am, and I have been an activist 
activist and an advocate, a mobilizer and an organizer for nearly every reparations effort in this country since I was 17 years old. So slavery, Reconstruction, Jim Crow, the Black Power era, even the Black Lives Matters protests of last last summer, need some examination, not only in terms of the historical perspective and framework under which reparations were discussed and demanded at that time, but also how the people who were involved in those uh, in the, that part of the demand for reparations and that historical place for the demands of repar- reparations viewed what is reparations, which is why we started off this the series with having the two people who are the experts in identifying what is reparation. So tonight we're asking, what are the remnants of the impact of an enslaved people? We were held in bondage economically and socially for hundreds of years. We were left to, for hundreds of years, we were left to fight the ghosts of those hundred years. What did we survive? And more importantly, what made us thrive? And where are the broken places now? You know, I'm not going to romanticize that the civil rights era, the black power era, the black leadership, misleadership, etc., biscuits and fried chicken stuff. Because we are broken in some places, not just economically. What costs did our ancestors and what costs do we pay? What costs do we pay? So tonight, I am really pleased to have a new Our Common Ground voice join us, and he is Dr. Rutledge M. Dennis. He is Professor of Sociology and Anthropology at George Mason University. He was born in Charleston, South Carolina. He received a BA degree in Social Science and Sociology from South Carolina State University, and his Master's and Doctorate degree in Sociology from Washington State uh, University. He is the editor, co-editor, and author, co-author of 12 books in the area of urban politics, research methods in race and ethnicity, black intellectuals such as W.E.B. Du Bois, the Black Middle Class Race and Ethnic Politics Award, Um, by the Association of Black Sociologists and the Du Bois Johnson Frazier Award 
by the American Sociological Association. So we are real pleased uh, to have joining us tonight Dr. Rutledge Dennis. Dr. Dennis, thank you so very much for being with us tonight. And we hope that we don't have a lightning storm. (laughs) I hope not either. It's a pleasure being here with you and the broadcasting audience, Janice. It's a pleasure. Well, you know, um, I um, was very interested in talking to you about reparations as both a sociologist and an anthropologist so that we get, somehow we're getting a, um, an echo. Is that you or me? It uh, must be you. I have no echoes. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm hearing an echo. Are you? Yes, I, I was, it be... and it's gone away now. It's gone? But okay, okay. One of the reasons that I was so interested in talking with you about reparations is that as a, as a scholar and a professor, you have had the privilege and the opportunity to really have a, a generational view of our movement as, as an academician, you have had the opportunity to study how black people have progressed through all of these eras and you pretty much know what the discussion was about what we are trying to repair. Yes. Uh, I've taught for about 50 years now, and we're trying to repair both white America and black America. It's, it's a dual mission for us. It always has been. That is, how do we seek redress from white America for the hundreds of years of uh, 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 agony and pain, but also how can we move black America from where we have been, where we are, and where we wish to be. And many of our leaders, uh, beginning with Frederick Douglass, uh, and then through Booker D. Washington, uh, W.B. Du Bois, and, and Garvey, and we can also include the Muslim Nation of Islam. They have tried different measures, both to attack white America for what it did and the injustices that black Americans experienced, and also find ways to move black America from point A to point G. One of the great things about the journey of black America that people don't often realize is the the great strength and durability and tenacity with which we have existed in this society. I, I think many people don't understand 
the great history of our country, and they know about slavery, but until they read the individual slave accounts, until they understand what happened during the Jim Crow era and the struggles that black people made to establish businesses, and to, to understand how black people went through the 1950s, the struggles of the lynchings, uh, the Jim Crow laws, the white um, primaries, the poll taxes, the literacy clause that we had to read and interpret. I think we, we all sometimes sell short the great strength of our people and what we have accomplished in the in the midst of the terrible storm and the tornadoes leveled against us and i think that's that's the story because we want us to be where we want us to be and that's natural but sometimes we don't know the daily in uh, occurrences we don't we have not gone through the underground railroad with harriet Tubman. Uh, we have not gone through some of the the painful uh, desire and agony to to um, to establish institutions within the black community, and the, and the disappointments, the failures, but but the few successes as well. And I think that uh, this is why we have such an ambivalent many times about the issue of reparation because on one hand there is this idea of black, among black America that we're not going to beg for anything uh, uh, that we're going to make it on our own and Booker Washington and others were central in that ideas yes we've been mistreated but we don't want their sympathy we will try to make certain things happen on our own and that's a great foundation of the self-help that we saw for example in the nation of islam and even before that the gavi movement uh, and, and there were many many uh, black groups prior to gavi prior to washington that that thought that so i think there is that story that we don't understand ourselves many times and when I speak to black students in my classes we talk about reparations many of them don't fully understand it uh, some disagree with it some believe we have gone beyond that and a uh, very few will fight vociferously for the idea so there's a there's a mixed message from blacks even though increasingly more blacks have moved towards some kind of reparation I I do think at this point and I supported it back beginning in the 1960s at this point however given the political divide I am now in favor of a program to restructure America or building American institutions and a great part of that restructuring program will be directed towards black America that is we don't have to use the term reparations we, we can use the term restructuring America but a great part of that will be uh, funds directed towards the black community uh, college funds or for academic programs high school curricular developments inner city 
economic development and restructuring for black businesses, job, job training programs, and entrepreneurial development. I, I see these as important, and we don't have to use the term uh, reparation. Uh, it, it is simply viewing black American development as a part of the overall American development. And I, I see great uh, possibilities in that angle. I was reading the morning paper, and uh, the ex-governor, Doug Wilder, just made an appeal for $50 million out of the $4.3 billion that Virginia will receive under the American Rescue Plan Act. And he was quoted as saying in the paper, I'm not asking for reparation. I'm just asking for what is right. I'm not asking for reparation, he said. I'm just asking for what's right. So he's suggesting that blacks receive $50 million from that $4.3 billion the state of Virginia will be getting. And out of that, he is recommending that some of the funds be directed towards the four or five predominantly black universities in the state of Virginia, Virginia Union, Norfolk State, Virginia State, Hampton University. And where does he want that fund, those funds developed? He wants them developed towards scholarships, academic programs, capital projects. So I, I see that more and more given the the political divide in the country and given the fact that if reparation does occur on any level either as I'm suggesting or as Wilder stated in the morning paper we're going to have we're going to have white people on board in the discussion uh, right now I don't see that many whites being interested in any kind of reparation. They may be interested in, as Wilder is suggesting, a larger program to restructure the American society, and a great part of that would include money directed towards the black community. That might be a better, I'll use the word pragmatic idea. That may be. Because the issue is getting something done. To me, that's the issue. And, and, and whether we use the word reparation or restructuring America, if we can build up our black communities, if we can strengthen our schools and universities and colleges, if we can create jobs in the inner cities of our communities, if we can do those things without calling it reparations, let's do it. Let me ask you uh, right uh, at this point, why do you think that using the word reparation is some kind of impediment? Because it will involve a lengthy historical discussion, and I don't think at this point will get us anywhere. We'll get bogged down in, who, who, uh, from the white point of view, my, my ancestors didn't own any slaves. Why should I have to pay? 
So we're, we're assuming that whites understand the structure of the society. And to be honest with you, from my teaching 50 years, they don't. Mm-hmm. But, but and so the key, the key is, the key is sh- should we waste the time having to educate them first before we can really seriously talk about reparation? And, and given the lack of education and insights by the larger white society, I think it would be a waste of time, personally, because we're going to have, we're going to have them sitting at the table. They don't know that much, and they don't care at this point to know that much about it. And that's, that's my position. Well, They don't know, in, and they don't in, care. In, in my mind, reparations are a program of acknowledgement, redress, and, and closure. And I'm wondering under what you are suggesting, how we get to uh, specifically the kind of restitution that the descendants of U.S. chattel slavery are due. How do we close the the, the, the black economic uh, wealth gap in this country without reparation? We close it by doing what I suggested the first time, call the program Restructuring America, and the same money that one would want for reparations, we can get under the restructuring program, just as Doug Wilder is suggesting, from the total funds that Virginia will get under the American Rescue Plan Act, which was $4.3 billion, he's suggesting that $50 million of that be directed towards the black community. We could and do the same thing for reparation. Advance, yeah, but how does that advance uh, particulars for damages, especially economic damages, wreaked upon black America during the century and a half since the Civil War, and the damage, the social uh, damages under Jim Crow and and hundreds of years of oppression and discrimination. The the damage is rectified by building, putting funds into the black community. We don't have to call it reparation, and this is my point. We can get the money without calling it reparations. Now, if someone wants to call it reparation with that money, that's fine. But what, what I'm saying is that we can suggest a program of restructuring the American society, and we all know that America needs restructuring on many levels. So just as the nation is putting money to restructure the American society, we will demand, request, what have you, a portion of this restructuring money, as Wilder just did, be placed in the black community. Now, some might see this as a reparation, 
and it could be in some sense called reparation. All we all we want is 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 the problem to be addressed and whether we call reparation or whether we call it a part of restructuring America I don't think it really matters that much I mean and I agree with you maybe there are psychological dimensions of that okay because because calling it reparation is both a psychological as well as sociological component Psychologically, it says they are paying us a debt for what they owe, and we can feel better psychologically knowing that fact. See, that's the psychology of it. But sociologically, if the funds are provided to develop the inner cities, to provide for black colleges and universities, to provide for improvement in black high schools, to provide for capital investments within black communities. Does it matter whether we call it reparation if the work is being done to enhance the development of our black lives? Now, we, you know, now some could call that reparation if they want to, but the point is we are getting the money to assist the community. Do we do we have to call it reparation? I know well, that there's a there are many component. I think that there are many who would also say that descendants are uh, also due direct uh, payments in, in, in most of the proposals. Yes. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, I don't, and I, I don't think that should be a request. I think it should be a community, a black community request to develop the black community. Those, no, those no. individuals, for example, the, 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 uh, the Japanese were given funds um, for the properties they had, that properties that were taken by the government. But also, each Japanese citizen was given what twenty thousand dollars by the government for being for being incarcerated. That was how mm -hmm. the Japanese were paid, and and Jews were given reparations by from Germany to Israel, uh, uh, be, because of the death of those millions of Jews, those Jews who could trace their artworks. Uh, that were located in many museums across the world sued and they were given those items back but there were individual property properties by individual persons I, I don't think so there's ever been a case necessarily suggesting how do we how do we address hundreds of years of enslavement, free labor. Of course, of course, free labor. Um, we address this by focusing on our contemporary black communities. If the aim is to build 
black communities for survival and success, be it economic success, be it cultural, be it political, be it educational, the funds directed towards black communities would, it can't do, nothing can undo what happened to us. See, if, if, if the issue is undoing the past, it's not going to happen. We can't do it. The, the issue is how do we then force the government to recognize the damage did to us and therefore to provide those funds so that we can redress some of those problems which were made by enslavement and Jim Crow and what have you. It, I think it should be directed towards the community rather than to individuals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me, let me we, ask we, you we about... Were, we, were, we were oppressed as a black community. That's what, not as individuals. We were oppressed collectively as blacks. I have to disagree with you about that. I think that every person who was a victim inside the U.S. shadow slavery system was mm-hmm. a victim. Yes, I and believe they were that. Individuals. I'm, not, I'm not denying that. I'm not denying believe, that, but they were individuals a part of the larger black community. I'm still disagreeing with you about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm just trying I think to it's find a very how, important point. I, 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 think, I think logistically, how are we going to uh, deal with... Uh, and, um, it, it's, it's a problematic state... Uh, to provide funds for maybe 35 million black Americans or more, okay? Uh, You see, we can do that and still have a very disorganized, non-economically successful black community. My focus is on the black community, and that's why I'm calling the program Restructuring America, I think it, mm-hmm. it, it makes more sense in my mind to put that funds towards building and sustaining the economic, political, educational growth of our community. For example, let, let's say the government provides each of us with a million dollars. Does that help the black community? See, I don't think so. I don't think well, giving don't the think money indi- any... giving the money individually will not help the black community and and my focus is on helping a sustained and successful black community. Mhm. I I think that one of the things that we can't dismiss here is that um even if you take a look at HR 40 that's before the 117th Congress Mm-hmm. Um, the proposal is three-pronged. It is about building both communities, mm-hmm. and it is about addressing 
individual victimization and it is about reconciliation in terms of both the economic and the social in this country. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't think... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to have the kind of reconciliation that you and I want if reparations as an idea is directed towards giving every individual black funds. I don't think it's going to promote reconciliation. I don't think it's going to promote a healthy dialogue uh, or a healthy conversation with the larger white community. I just don't think so. I just don't think so. Now, I may be wrong. I just don't think so. I, I think the, the, the logical and wisest approach is towards developing the black community and funneling money there. Now, we can call that reparation, but I think, that's, I think that may be the wisest way to go with this. I see, I just see, once we want to, once we decide on the individual payment, I see decades and decades of conflict. But I don't see anything happening positive in developing the black community, which is the focus of my concern. How are those conflicts any different than the conflicts we currently live in? Well, the conflict will be different because it will direct, my suggestion will will direct black energy towards rebuilding what we've said we want to build, our schools, our inner cities. We can we can give well, who be, who, the country who will benefit from these who will benefit from these schools? Everybody? We will. We will. We will. Most of the black students are attending predominantly segregated schools in black communities. This is throughout the country. The schools are slowly resegregated. So if we fund money fund the money to the schools they will assist black students because black students primarily attend these inner city schools. Black black students attend primarily Virginia Union, Virginia State, Norfolk State, Hampton University. And that's where Wilder is suggesting the money be spent because they will help black students with scholarships. They will help those universities with curricular development. They will help those universities with, with, other, with other sorts of things. And therefore, my suggestion... I, I, just, I, I just couldn't call it reparations if mm-hmm. it's directed in building America. That's not it, reparations in my well, mind. Well, a, well, a part of building America is building black America. And that's my concern, building black America. And if we're going to build America, we're going to have to build black America because we're a large component of that America. And I agree with you, we have suffered in the building of America. 
but a program designed to... Not only to we, have we re- suffered, we, we, we contributed free labor in the building oh, of, of America. Yes. And, and, the, and yes. the repayment was predatory and oppressive laws and practices under law. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so we're, we're trying to. We're trying to. Mm, mm, go ahead. How yes, does go ahead. what you propose address that? And um, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not seeing that. Well, <laughs> if we if we are basing our progress on whites collectively saying they're sorry, I think it's a waste of time. Now, now we, we did get that, for example, in South Africa, where whites comprise only, what, about 3 million out of 16, 17, 18 million, uh, where they control the society. Uh, and and w- when, when there was... A, a political revolution which reversed that and blacks were in control, reconciliation was a great part of that. And whites did uh, uh, testify and they did, some of them at least, did ask forgiveness. Now the key question is, do we get 300 million Americans to, dis- to agree to that? Are they, are, th- th- there's already disagreements on that before you even start with huge proportions of Americans saying, white Americans saying, their, gener- their families were not slave owners. They didn't, they didn't oppress blacks. Now, we know how that operates sociologically, even though that generation of parents were not a part of that, they benefited from that. Now, are we gonna spend uh, the next 10 years educating white Americans on sociologically how they benefited from slavery? Is that how we're going to spend our time rather than directing our energies towards the black community? Because that's what's going to happen. Because they're going to reject that idea. Do we spend time trying to educate them on how they benefited from slavery? Let's bring it down to let's bring it down to a yeah. Um, yeah. A, a, a smaller cos, a cosm of mm-hmm. um, comparison. How would you suggest that the victims of racial terrorism, such as the massacre? And, 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 and devastation that occurred in places like Wilmington, Tulsa, Rosewood, and other places throughout the United States. How, do, how would your proposal work in that context? That money be developed towards building those communities strengthening those schools because more than likely schools in the inner cities of those schools you've those cities you've mentioned are generally poor schools they lack funds they lack uh, 
uh, a multiplicity of programs to enable students to move on to colleges and universities. That's been proven by data. Inner city schools have problems. Money, and a part of what I'm saying is let's put that money to develop our inner city schools, to develop on-the-job training, to develop capital development in those, in those locations. And I think it would work. But you're talking about people who were, who were victimized by crime. How do they, where, is, where does restorative justice fit into the way in which you, your approach proposes? <sighs> restorative justice is, very, is a very important term. Many of the victims of those pogroms are dead. Uh, uh, Their ancestors live on, perhaps. Uh, They may sue the government, uh, and some probably have. My point is that. We may, the government may give, can give each black $5 million, and we will still have an impoverished black community with impoverished schools, because once, once we win the debate to give money to individual blacks, believe me, whites are going to wash their hands of helping anything within the black community because now they said we have paid our dues you've asked for money for individuals we have given you the money to hell with the black community I'm yeah, sure but that's going I don't to happen. think there even HR 40 which is under review right now mm-hmm um, and it is not a symbol symbolic act it's a it is uh, with all of its flaws, it is programmatic, which mm-hmm. means it is addressing not only the uh, current effect of past oppression, of past laws, but the need for the the, the communities black communities across the country. So it is not as narrowly tailored as you seem to assume, as your assumption mm-hmm. is, 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 is framed in, your propose, in, in the way in which you propose it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with H.R. 40, uh, and, I've read only parts of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. um, and it has spurned some governmental acknowledgement of the crime of slavery and the concomitant effects that it has on the descendants of slaves. Um, I mean, if you look at 
if, if you look at just not only the the, the, the the economic gap, economic gap of black income, but the economic gap of black potential. And, and, and but, their communities. Yeah, but closing that gap will be a community effort. See, closing the gap is not an individual effort. It's a community, and that's why I'm emphasizing, and I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm seeing much more legitimacy and much more progress at the end in focusing on the community, which will in fact assist those individual blacks in those communities uh, in, in terms of those vital things that we have been arguing for f forever almost. Uh, du Bois talked about it. The, the need to restructure our educational system, the need to reinforce it economically, um, the, the need to create institutions that support the family, uh, the, the need to create uh, what Washington sought and which Du Bois also agreed with, a, a, a great entrepreneurial uh, activity within the black community. These things would be assisted under the suggestion that I have. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but, but I but think you, you do have to mm -hmm. consider, uh, mm -hmm. you do have to consider that under, uh, in, 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 by utilizing a systematic analysis of the comparative mm -hmm. current status mm -hmm. of blacks vis-a-vis -vis whites in the United States, that you have to give particular attention to the racial gulf in wealth accumulation because net worth is the most powerful indicator of intergenerational effects of white supremacy on black economic well-being. That's true, but a great part of that has been the educational system and the fact that uh, in, in many of our black communities, the educational system is not up to par. And we have to consider also the dropout rates within black communities. Uh, so I think if we can strengthen our schools and, and to make education a viable and exciting issue, uh, if we can bring back, for example, music education, which many cities uh, dropped when they began to have economic pressures, uh, uh, so that there are many things that we can do to enrich the education of black children that we don't do now, uh, uh -huh. and 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 I think what Wilder was saying and what I'm agreeing with is that if we can organize the black community um, and I, and I do think on the other hand we could go back and do some things we had been doing but we don't do now for example in many cities they had the black ministerial alliance of black Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians, what have you. In many cities, they, they're gone. For example, in Richmond, they don't exist anymore. Ministers aren't talking to each other. They're talking to their own flock, but they're not talking to others 
in other denominations. We need to strengthen that because I think there is a role for religion within the concept of the, that I'm talking about. The churches mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and in I think some you're places the mosques. In a very in in a very narrow um, silo, and you're you're mm-hmm. focused on education, you're focused on community development, and Doug Wiley is the last person that I would even think uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> about listening to. I, under, I understand. I understand. Of, of okay. I, I understand. I understand. I understand. I understand. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the, the but sometimes he has he good has, ideas. Sometimes he has good ideas. Yeah, but sometimes. he's just a, you know his politics is just good old boys and whatever. I, I you know we're, we're talking about the need uh, uh, to do so many things to examine you know to to really get to. Um, um, identifying who were the beneficiaries of slavery, both in the near and longer terms, and to examine the key role that slavery played in American economic development. Oh, yeah. And, and, and in fact, I just taught a course on Du Bois, and uh, we got a little into his black reconstruction. We talked about his souls of black folk and dusk of dawn and dark water and the autobiography. And then we moved a little into black reconstructionism, where he does talk about uh, slavery and the aftermath of slavery. And Du Bois himself never really mentioned reparation, though he died in 19... Uh, 63. He was an old man into his 90s, but he did make references to uh, reparations type things. For example, in his crisis article of 1909, he talked about a black-white coalition called the National Committee on the Negro. This is in the 1909 issue of the crisis. Uh, and, and this committee of 40 uh, uh, would be concerned with legal, social, political, and educational issues. Uh, it did uh-huh. not come to fruition, just as in Black Reconstruction. He talked about Thaddeus Stevens, Thaddeus Stevens and Charles Sumner in, in, their, in their 1866 bill, uh, which was called the Mandates Commission. And this this commission... Uh, was designed to distribute three million acres of good land partial out to loyal white refugees and black freedmen at a price not to exceed two dollars an acre. But again, uh, uh, the bill died in 1872. So uh, Du Bois quotes favorably that. So I think he was in favor of of some degree of, of, of uh, reparation, though he didn't call it that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Of, he was in favor of some degree of redressing uh, the past, but Du Bois played a role of redressing the past but moving blacks ahead in the future. And I, I think that that is essentially the foundation in which most reparation advocates understand reparation. I mean, the, 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 the case is this, 
that it has to be on all three tiers or, 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 or phases of injustice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that is slavery, American apartheid, and the combined effect of present-day discrimination and the ongoing depreciation of black mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just... Uh, I, I just think that we have to understand it that white America, America, the American government has rejected any form of justice for black Americans in this country. So, so why and, do you think we, they now will recognize it? I, I, what do you think I, I they're going think, to start recognizing now? I, 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 I think that they want to, that many of them, and, and, and I saw a study last week that said uh, something like 62% of all whites, after having been exposed to the Tulsa massacre on, mm-hmm. on, in a survey, that 62% mm-hmm support the notion of reparations for black Americans. Hmm. No, but I go back to sociologist mm-hmm. Joe Fagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what he does is he catalogs the continuing injuries inflicted on black Americans, including wage penalties, physical and psycho-emotional health wounds, and community and yeah. institutional damages. And I want to talk to yeah. you. Uh, we've got to take a break. Yeah. And, and, and I want to talk to you about some of, some of the people like W.E.B. Du Bois, like Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass, and, and, and what they have said, Queen, Queen Mother Moore, Mm-hmm. Um, what mm-hmm. they have had to say, and how this has changed from um, over the over the over the centuries um, in terms mm-hmm. of how black thinkers understand and identify what reparations is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank you very much for being with us. We're going to take a break. Our guest tonight is Dr. Rutledge Dennis. He's a professor of sociology and anthropology at George Mason University, and we will talk with him more uh, when we come back from this break. Don't go away. Even emancipation didn't truly free the slaves. Freedom freed slaves for more travail. The end of the Civil War found many cast adrift without skills and no place to go. And the Yankees who freed them weren't always seen as benevolent liberators. Three o'clock in the morning You can only wonder where has your woman been She's been with me, that's where she's been Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. 
transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Thinking about you all the time. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Works Network, nightly call-in talk radio. It's the Black Voice Collaborative, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Who champion this cause of something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. And then he set her up by backing off. Well, if she will come and talk to us. Right. Yeah, and she yeah, came yeah. and talked to you, not alone, she came and talked with the CIA guy. And he basically backed up everything she said, but now they have larger concerns. Now they're crying and whining about the filibuster and the reform of the filibuster. Not only should they reform the filibuster, they should drop the nuclear option on the filibuster. And when you hear people like Mitch McConnell saying that if they do this, this will poison the well forever. Well, I'll take your threat and I'll raise you to shove it in your behind. Right, Lawless, and Reason. Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk Radio. The Alpha Show. Only at TruthWorks Networks. Friday, 10 p.m. wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health. It showed up in my life through one of my best friends. We've been friends for over 30 years. One story at a time. If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it, I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in a journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. 
Thank you for joining us on Episode 2 of The Debt That Is Owed, the Our Common Ground discussion series on the issue of reparations for the descendants of U.S. shadow slavery systems. We hope you'll join us next week as we explore the political environment in which the demand is made, the debt that is owed. In the narrative, the slaves used an interesting phrase for the end of slavery. They say, when the break came, good times, easy times were not at hand. The trials for millions of black Americans didn't end in 1865. They continued. Laura Smalley and her family became sharecroppers. Harriet Smith's first husband was killed by whites during the Reconstruction, probably because of his political organizing. Fountain Hughes went north to Baltimore and worked at numerous jobs, including hauling manure. Not an enviable job, but it was the job of a free man. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. here tonight at Our Common Ground. Um, I'm not sure what is going on with the echo thing. I hope you're not hearing it. We've been trying to fix it, uh, and it may be related to the weather that we are having here at uh, South Florida. Our guest tonight in the second episode of our series, Reparations, the Debt That Is Owed. And tonight we're talking with Dr. Rutledge Dennis. He is both a sociologist and an anthropologist for over 50 years. Dr. Dennis, thank you so very much for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, at the end of the first segment, you mentioned uh, thoughts on uh, Frederick Douglass and um, Du Bois and maybe Booker D. Washington and Garvey. Uh, Douglass was the first national leader, uh, a national leader chosen by whites, of course, uh, because of his exemplary manner of speaking and telling his story in all three of his autobiographies. Uh, he was a believer in um, in the self-directiveness of the black population, uh, and uh, he said simply, "Lower the barriers, and we will make it ourselves." Uh, so he was the first in line of of many blacks who were interested in the self-directiveness of the black community, in which he said, "Don't give us anything." We will stop 
lower the barriers of discrimination, we will do it ourselves. This, of course, was heightened in Booker D. Washington, who had no choice since he was in the Deep South. And therefore, he was, his head was in the lion's mouth, so to speak. And he had to appease the white population. Uh, and he was afraid that if blacks were to really come out for voting, he believed because we didn't have any support from the national government, blacks would be slaughtered. And that was a possibility also. Uh, uh, du Bois moved between self-help uh, because he did, in 1916, propose a black economic commonwealth, a kind of black cooperative system which would unite blacks in Chicago, New York, Baltimore, etc. It didn't. It didn't come to anything successful. It was a great idea, but I still think could work. Garvey, uh, on the other hand, coming from Jamaica, and, and, and Jamaica, of course, was a colony, uh, sought, he came to America, many people don't know this, he came to America to follow Washington. But when he got here, Washington was dead. In 19, Washington died in 1915. Garvey came, I think, a few months into 1916. Uh, so uh, Garvey continued a practice he had begun in Jamaica, the the the, the Negro National Improvement uh, Association, uh, and uh, he was much more forcibly into self-direction. Uh, mm -hmm. with his but, quest, but, but black quest. nationalist Queen Mother Oddly Moore, uh, who I remember her, by advocated, the way. I remember sorry, her very you? well. Yeah. I, say, I remember her very well. Uh -huh. Restitution for African Americans as early as 1950s, and she was a mm -hmm. Garveyite. She was part of the, she yes. was a pioneer mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, member connected to the Universal Negro Impro Improvement Association and, uh -huh. and 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 she was the founding of the MRBP uh, the committee for reparations for descendants of US slaves in 1951 mm -hmm. she mm -hmm. actually in 1959 appeared before the United Nations for reparations, appealed to the United Nations for reparations for African Americans. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I knew that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, and then uh, another uh, person, and I want to hear from you, uh, from your, from your experience in, in, in observing as a sociologist and a anthropologist some of these people like Malcolm X and Elijah yes. Muhammad. Yeah. Uh, th they did not make the kind of reparation appeal that we talk about today. What the initial plan of the Nation of Islam was for those seven black southern states 
with high black population that these states be recognized as a black nation. Now that was not new because the communists and socialists made that same appeal back in the 1930s. I'm not saying he's repeating them, but certainly that the quest of the nation of Islam for a black nation began with those seven black, highly populated black states in the South as a natural nation for black Americans. Uh, he didn't, uh, the nation didn't speak of reparation in any sense we're talking about today. The fact that those seven states would be a black nation, perhaps, may have been a part of the reparation idea by the nation. Uh, and um, the, 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 the philosophy of the nation was to separate from white America. In Garvey's case, going to Africa was the idea, though his wife said he didn't really want it, but in his pronouncements and books, that's what he stated. Uh, so the nation of Islam was not uh, advocating that the America give blacks anything. There's, they were saying that those seven states already constitute a, a black nation. I, and therefore, I, I disagree with you on that point. Uh -huh. uh, oh, it really? was okay. uh, Elijah Muhammad who challenged the, the United States government by pointing out that the United States government gave Latin America $20 billion who never fought mm -hmm. for this country, who never contributed in the building of this country. And one of the things he said is you said he, when he was addressing, uh, I'm not sure, I think it was uh, I never heard uh, that. Uh, mm -hmm. Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. I think it was either Eisenhower or John Kennedy. He said, you, you, you never, you know, he, he said they never fought for this country, they never worked for this country, yet we send billions of dollars to Poland and to Hungary, and they were communist countries, and they never contributed anything. So... I, I disagree. You know, I, let me let me I don't, ask I don't you think that's about correct, just though, wages. But, mm -hmm. Uh huh. Um, if you take the wages, just for a moment, if you take the wages mm -hmm. of everyone in my audience individually, it means nothing collectively. But collectively, all of the earning power are wages that are earned in one week would make most of those people, most of the people listening to this show wealthy. Say that again now. That the greatest contribution to this country was that which was contributed by black people, especially black male workers. Yes. And the mm -hmm. wages that they weren't paid, if you take those wages, just take those wages and you come and you give those wages to everybody in my listening audience tonight it would be wages that 
they would not have earned in one week. Yeah, I and I understand and I agree with that. My only point is how do we move ahead to benefit the black community? And I think... But I think that's a separate blacks, blacks question understand. from reparations. Yeah, yeah, but I think blacks understand that that we have been uh, treated terribly bad by the nation politically, economically, culturally, educationally. The point I was trying to make, and I am trying to make, is how do we move to create and build something to get where you and I want us to be? And and that's where I am. How, how do we pull from that pool? Because don't forget that pool that the U.S. government has is part of our money, too. So they really aren't giving us anything. We, we are entitled to that. So I'm saying get that entitlement. See, I, I would call it entitlement, but not reparation. We are entitled to a lot of that. My point is get blacks and whites talking to get that entitlement, some of that entitlement to flow into our community to move us where we want to be. And I think that... I'm hearing what you're saying, and your focus really is on one part of what, yeah. in terms of yeah. the, See, the reparations and, discourse going on and, in this country. And maybe, maybe and my question, and maybe my point... Yeah, and maybe my point is I want to do less talking about what happened during slavery in the 20s and 30s. I understand what happened. I teach it all the time. I'm teaching it this summer, okay? But my, my real energy is towards how do we recognize that but immediately create programs to move, us, to move us ahead. See, you and I agree on what happened in the past. I don't disagree with that. I study it. I talk about it in my classes this summer. The point is, how then do we create and build on that to improve what we have? I, I, I don't think, I think few whites would dispute the, the sordid history of this country racially. Maybe the right-wingers might debate it, but I think a few, very few whites with a reasonable education and reasonable sound mind would, would agree with that. But after that, okay, what do we blacks suggest? What do we want out of this American past so that we move ahead so our children get the best education, and our kids go to schools that are uh, fully funded and are good schools. And how can we create our inner city communities? How can we create the very thing that Washington and Garvey wanted, and that is creating a black entrepreneurial class within the black community? And by the way, in 1920, 
blacks were great entrepreneurs because we had no one else to fall back on. We had to depend on ourselves. A lot of black businesses were created. Despite the fact that blacks were poor, in the early decades of the 20th century. And that's remarkable. That is remarkable. How do we get back there where we are less dependent on whites, but more self-sufficiency, which was the aim of certainly uh, Douglas, uh, Garvey, Washington, and a part of Du Bois a part of Du Bois, and I, and I think that we can do it. Well, I, I think that one of my fears in, in processing your proposal is mm-hmm. that there have been many efforts in a piecemeal strategy to address, um, to address education, the collective needs of community development. And what we're trying to do, I think, in my, in my support of reparations, mm-hmm. is to have a comprehensive program of reparations that address all elements of the kind of justice that black people require and have earned. Yeah, I I think, though, we have to understand the system that we've inherited. We don't have a system that admires revolution. I mean, look how long it took some schools to desegregate, I won't use the word integrate, but desegregate after the 1954 decree. It took, in many cities like Virginia, almost 30 years. 30 years. Because it's a politi- it was a political issue. And many people, many states, particularly Virginia, Virginia led the massive resistance under Senator Byrd against school integration. And Virginia was the only state where an entire county school system closed in Prince Edwards, Virginia. The school closed, the, the entire school system closed for four to five years. And blacks had to go outside of the county for education. So uh, it's not going to be an easy road. My point is it's not going to be easy, but what do we do to strengthen our communities in the interim while these discussions are going on? You keep going back to schools, and there have been Yeah, well, that's a big issue. That's a big issue. And I'm I'm a professor. That's why. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, certainly an overall reparations fund could be directed mm-hmm. to neighborhood and community building projects or even toward building endowments for HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for both substantive, substantive and symbolic reasons, 
I believe that the preponderance of the funds must be directed precisely at eligible recipients that we must add that the payouts need not be necessarily all cash payments per se. They could also be made by the provision of less liquid assets like endowments that take the form of trust accounts. And I'm not mm-hmm. understanding, and mm-hmm. what I want to hear from you is how will reparations in the way in which you propose it change the effects of the political, social, and economic inequities that black Americans confront daily? Well, certainly uh, we continue to attack the laws of discrimination. It doesn't mean that we won't do that. But, but under my proposal, we'll have the funds to develop the inner city communities with school funds, uh, educational funds, and, and uh, other things of that sort. So it doesn't mean that we can't and won't continue to fight against these discriminatory laws and practices. It simply means that we will then have money to restructure as we fight. But, we will but don't fight you agree and restructure. Don't you agree that the wealth gap would not persist if the target of well-executed reparations is direct elimination of it altogether? And I want to continue to point out that there are other social policies that will need to be maintained. Even if you look at, and you have to to agree, Dr. Dennis, that Mm -hmm. since the civil rights era, where the preponderance of efforts to change laws in this country to lift discrimination, that most of them have not worked. Some of them have worked. Uh, again, uh, for example... You have to tell example, me which ones work. Um, uh, see, see, nothing is, not is perfect. The law, the laws are not perfect. I mean, j- just as we have laws and against discrimination, are, are disastrous. Right. Um, what I'm saying is, if if we expect a hundred percent perfection from a system that has been uh, racist in many cases over the uh, hundreds of years, then we're fighting a lost cause if we expect perfection. Uh, There has not been and never will be perfection. Uh, The housing laws against discrimination have been marginally successful, but we know there are still discriminatory practices in housing, in in ownership, and and rentals. We know that. We know there are discriminatory practices in education uh, and in politics. We know that uh, uh, across the board. So we're talking about a flawed society where we have been, in a way, shouldering much of the initiative in terms of rectifying issues against us. We have been the ones doing that, not whites. We've been the ones doing that. And, and, and even as we do that, 
they are the ones with the power who have resisted much of that. So we may propose uh, reparations all we want, but the majority will have to accept it and agree with it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. I mean, that's that's the political reality. We're going to have well, to sit you know. down, and as Malcolm said uh, many times, to sit down with the enemy. We're going to have to do that. Well, I I, I think that we can no longer accept the notion that some do good programs. I mean, if you if you go back to the civil rights era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at the Voting Rights Act, you look mm-hmm. at the Fair Housing Act, you look mm-hmm. at Title VII, which was supposed to protect blacks from employment discrimination and, and discriminatory mm-hmm. harassment at work. Mm-hmm. None mm-hmm. of those things have worked. And we have to now, in my, in my assessment, we have to now try to address uh, the gulf in black and white wealth uh, that stems no, from the immediate aftermath and the, 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 the present effect of both slavery, Jim Crow, and the failure of the civil rights legislation. But, but and I'm not talking about not, just, the, that yeah. just the government, mm-hmm. and I think you would agree, not just the government is obligated, but there is also an obligation from the financial banking system, the, from American commerce, existing American commerce, uh, and all of it, um, we have to yeah, call but, but, for free, free equity. Yeah, but when you say none of these work, that's not really true. For example, in Richmond, before the Voting Rights Act was passed and Civil Rights Act, there were only about seven to 8,000 voters in Richmond. After the, the passage of those uh, civil rights bills, it increased four, five-fold. There were then about thirty-five to 40,000 Richmond voters due to that law, which struck down the white-only primary, which struck down the poll tax, which struck down the literacy laws, which struck down the grandfather clause. So some of these had been effective. effective. But, so we can't but say they have not have worked. But you also have to agree but, and, that and I'm other saying because, took its because, place. Well, that's true. But I'm saying if you say that it did not work, that's not true. Because the, the striking down of those restrictions allowed Richmond to elect Henry Marsh as its first black mayor. Because the black vote and, and, increased and, and after Henry the Marsh abolition did what of the, for black working people. Now you see, if, if, if we would, if we become very political and decide who becomes the best black, the fact is that he was a black mayor, 
and and, and he was a black lawyer who defended blacks uh, throughout his um, career. And uh, uh, I don't know who else would have been there to be elected besides Henry Marsh, personally. And I've been in Richmond since 1971. Well, we may may say he wasn't radical enough, but um, uh, we find and use the best person we can at that moment. At that moment, he was the best choice of those who wanted to be mayor. At that time, he was the best choice. I I do have to agree with you that uh, there are critics who have argued that the idea of reparations is unworkable politically or financially, and their focus on and its focus on money misses the point of. Uh I mean, the Mm -hmm. the focus of those critics misses the point of a comprehensive reparations program um, and and the goal of historical investigation is to bring American society to a new reckoning with how past the past affects the current conditions of African Americans and what we have created is a small elite middle black middle class a small and ineffective black political elite and a small and pitiful black corporate leadership and a small and embattled black government uh, representative. So... And, and that's because we don't have a strong black radical political elite, and and therefore we 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 have what you've mentioned because there has not been a strong black radical group party which offers a viable alternative to what we have now, black people are very pragmatic and not inclined to follow people that don't they don't believe in and we we may we may criticize those individuals uh but and i was on a program just last week and i and i was telling someone uh, uh, don't criticize those conformist blacks or whites uh if the opposition doesn't offer a viable program that can be achieved, the people will follow those conformists, and they have every right to do so. If you are in opposition and you oppose the conformist black or white elites, come with a program that makes sense, and we will follow you. The problem is they have not been those alternative programs to the people's satisfaction that they would vote for these people. I don't, I, I don't, I don't blame the people. They want someone who makes sense, and and uh, and they're not going to go on a wild goose chase for people who don't seem to know what they're talking about. 
And I think it's a, it's a fault of the black radical opposition, not the fault of the Henry Marshes or Doug Wilders. Those blacks who oppose him, and there are blacks who oppose both Marsh and Wilder, but they have not built a (laughs) – that's right. Okay, but but you you and they have not built a strong political base to make many of us who vote follow you. So you so you (laughs) maybe you're to blame also. Maybe so. Build a base. Build build your base in opposition to Marsh and Wilder. We will look at your program to see what you have to offer, and maybe we will follow you. But you can't blame well, us I, for I following Marsh and Wilder. If, huh? I, I think part of the problem is that what happens in the political process for, for so many black politicians is that mm-hmm. they compromise the interests of black people away because it is politically expedient. Some do and some don't. I, I can't. I can't make that general statement such as you did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because well, there, there, I, are, I there are some politicians who who try to do the best they can uh, in the system they're in. I, I would. I, I would not view the majority of black politicians as necessarily sellouts. Uh, I, I mean, well, there, there have been some I've admired. Sellouts. I'm saying that they compromise yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah which diminishes the interests of black people. Otherwise, we would be seeing a lot different things. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about people like Senator Booker. I'm talking about people like mm-hmm. whoever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. and, 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 it, and it happens. It has happened all through our, our black political history. Yeah, but who are, but but let who me are ask the strong... You okay. Go ahead, make your statement. I want to ask you a question. I was just, I was just going to say uh, that there are, there have been some very strong uh, black politicians. Uh, I would consider Adam Clayton Powell one of the early uh, black politicians. Some may may object to that. Uh, um, um, uh, uh, Shirley Chisholm, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but again, there there are. Conformist politicians uh, like Sen- like Senator uh, Brook of uh, Massachusetts. Um, again, it's it's you want to be a politician, then you have to make those compromises, uh, as some do more than they should, and others visibly seem to, as if they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that one of the, the uh, the faltering of most uh, black politicians is that they know more about people who like them than the people who actually vote for them. Uh, vote for them are, 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 but are distant. I agree. I agree with you. For, for example, I, I, I wrote an I, I wrote an article once about uh, uh, black leadership. And uh, and uh, I talked about the Black uh, Caucus. 
congressional caucus. Uh, and, and, and throughout all of the discussions we've had for the past year or so, we have not heard their voice once. They were supposed to be a collective experience format for black America. It's called the Black Congressional Caucus. And yet, over all the things we've gone through in the last two years, the protests, the deaths of these black men and women, I've yet to hear them make a statement. And maybe they did, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I haven't heard it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you about uh, what your, I mean, you and I disagree about what the reparations program should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm a, 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 a big proponent of individual uh, payments to the mm-hmm. descendants. Mm-hmm. I think that is restorative justice. I think mm-hmm. doing all of the things that you have mentioned is also a part of restorative judge, uh, justice. Mm-hmm. The whole idea is I think that we can do a lot more education. But what was your take after having seen so many calls through history for restorative justice? What was your take on the Obama years? Oh. Plus and minuses. I, there were some concerns I have. I'm, I'm an independent politically. I must tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I viewed some things negatively and some things positively. Um, I, I didn't like. I still don't like mandating me to sign up for healthcare. And putting in that uh, packet uh, things like uh, uh, birth control and things of that sort. And and, and we all had to pay for that. We had no choice. And I, I, I don't think, I don't like that. I didn't like that then. I don't like it now. Um... Uh, and we also have to pay for Viagra. I just want to throw that in. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. And it shouldn't be that way, okay? It shouldn't be that way. Uh, I, I was disappointed that people pay for their own Viagra. Let, let oh. them pay for their own if they want it that badly. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, I didn't like the way that I don't like the way the Obamas have really tried to glamorize themselves. Uh, in the, they became attached to Hollywood and and glamour and New York, and uh, and I, I personally didn't like that. You are truly uh, a conservative, <laughs> are you not? Some friends say that. Yeah, some friends say no. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
I'm an it, independent it, it, thinker. Yeah, I understand that. But mm-hmm. uh, it seems that one of the things that you that 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 you narrowly tailor things because you think that is is what the thing that is going to work. How do your students respond to that? Yeah, they. They don't know where to put me, to be mm-hmm. honest, mm-hmm. because in my background, I was a member of SDS, of the anti-war movement, uh, the Black Student Union at Washington State, and I was a part of the process which created the Black, black African American Studies at Washington State University. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tallied around with <laughs> the Socialist Workers Party, and even for one summer uh, distributed literature for the Progressive Labor Party, which is way to the left, okay? But I was a student. I was searching for a way. I had lost faith in, in both the Democratic and Republican parties. I still don't have faith in them. I was searching around, and I was attracted to to Mao and the ways he was trying to build China as a self-sufficient nation. Uh, that I think that's what really attracted me to China, and 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 I now know, I knew earlier of the injustices <laughs> the Chinese people had to endure under Mao, but I was still attracted to the self-help uh, measure that, that China uh, was trying to create. Um, it, it was some, almost similar to Booker T. Washington's self-help. Now, that self-help is seen today as a very conservative thing. It's seen as a conservative movement, and most blacks who believe in self-help are generally viewed as conservative, generally viewed as conservative. Uh, Glenn Lowry perhaps kind of bridges the gap, because even though he's a conservative Republican, he does believe in uh, a heavy funding by the national government. Uh, So... I, I was attracted to, I'm still attracted to self-help among blacks. I think that's going to be very important because we can't expect whites to, to help us, even though they should because they've caused the damage. We can't expect them to have the kind of interest in us that we have in us. And they won't. Well, it's been, it, it, it's it's been uh, a very interesting conversation for me to have because I've been involved in uh, in this quest for for uh, most of all of my adult life mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as a member of Incobra, as a member of NARC. Um, mm-hmm. uh, developing and mobilizing and organizing independent black politics. But one mm-hmm. of the things I would suggest to you, because I think that, you know, that by way of your training, your prof- 
your professional career um, and the many generations in which you have had an opportunity to observe black struggle, mm-hmm. that you have some very unique ways in 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 addressing and stepping to the issue of restorative justice. Dr. Dennis, thank you so very much for being with us tonight. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure, Dennis, and much success to you and the audience. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. And um, You're welcome. I do want to suggest that in addition to reading Doug Wilder, (laughs) 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 that you read From Here to Equality by Dr. Um, Sandy Darity and Kirsten Muller. Uh, It would help you. I I, I suggest it because I think it would help to look at where most black people are on reparations in 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 in, mm-hmm. in this era that the discourse discourse mm-hmm. is going that way but thank you very much uh, and we're we're very pleased welcome. to have hosted this thank you. conversation with you it's been a pleasure Dr. thank you so much dr Rutledge Dennis was our guest tonight, and we will continue our discussions in this series uh, about the demand for reparations um, for the descendants of of U.S. shadow slavery. Uh, you know, we we have to really have a handle on how people from every walk of life. Um, is approaching this, and I think that Dr. Dennis's approach um, is not unique within the black collective, but we have to keep our heads into this game. Data from a 2016 survey of consumer finances, which is the most Recent data available indicate that black Americans possess 2.6% of the nation's wealth while constituting 13% of the population and that the average black uh, household has a net worth 8800 I'm trying to remember this $800,000 lower than the average white household. And the origins of this gulf in black and white wealth stem from the immediate aftermath of slavery, promise made to provide the formerly enslaved with 40 acres in land grants went unmet, while many white Americans were provided substantial Handouts, typically 160 acres of land in the West. During Reconstruction and thereafter, black descendants of the enslaved managed to achieve some degree of prosperity. 
Um, but their communities were destroyed by white massacres and white terrorists, and the examples are too numerous. So public policy has created the black-white gulf in wealth, and it will require public policy to eliminate it. And um, I just argue that the erasure, erasure, getting rid of this racial wealth disparity, must be a core objective of reparations for black American descendants of U.S. chattel slavery. Next week at Our Common Ground, guess who's going to be here? Dr. James L. Taylor, as we continue to talk about from every angle that we possibly can, as we continue to talk about reparations, the debt that is owed. Thank you so very much for joining us tonight, and thanks to Dr. Dennis uh, for joining us and and I like to have frank discussions about where people are because he is not alone. Have a good week and don't let the lightning stop you from anything. Every white man in Cusper, Georgia standing out there in the yard. Threw me in the trunk of the car. About a 30-minute ride and then they opened up his trunk I saw these ropes hanging from a tree, nooses, a place designed to look like to hang people. When they put the rope up around my feet, pulled me up in the tree, here comes the deputy sheriff that I lock in the cell, and he's got a knife. And he come up and he grabbed my private parts, and he took his knife and he stuck me. They was going to castrate me and then hang me and burn me. I was 19 years old, and there I am, bleeding like a pig, hanging up in a tree, ready to be slaughtered like a hog. And then another white man grabbed his arm and told him, don't do that. So we got better things we can do with this nigga. I took my shirt, rolled it up, put between my legs like that when I was in the trunk of the car, and squeezed my legs together. I saved myself. It's on my back, and it's dragging me down. Even today, that's been 40-some years ago, and even today now, it's dragging me down. Can't rest, man. I can't rest. I lay in my bed, and I can't rest. Running for my life every night. Somebody's after me. And I don't know what to do. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is be free. I'm mad about what happened. And it didn't seem like it was nobody there to say, hey, this is wrong. Don't do it like that. It hurts me to see him in that kind of pain. That pain is there. 
It needs to be erased. We commit to the ground these bodies and these souls. And let us forever remember and reflect upon the lines. Thank you for joining us on Episode 2 of The Debt That Is Owed, the Our Common Ground discussion series on the issue of reparations for the descendants of U.S. chattel slavery system. We hope you'll join us next week as we explore the political environment in which the demand is made, the debt that is owed. For all of you that have joined us in our chat room, we thank you as well. I'm Janice Grant. Join us each Saturday at Our Common Ground. I'll be listening for you, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Gotta tell you the same thing. Trying to use me for food. Seems like it's hard.